Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Cercherò nell'oblio di chi si è perso, abbandonato al tuo coraggio, cado anch'io, fiore d'inverno. We dare to We will share the complete song with you at Two Cents. That is the amazing voice of Andre Bocelli and his lovely daughter Virginia from the movie Cabrini, which opens one week from today, March 8th. And we are going to be talking about the film. I had the opportunity to see it in the privacy of my home with a media link, and so did Vanessa Denhagarmo. We both love the film and are really encouraging you to go see it. But then I also had the uh, very uh, great opportunity to be at a screening and a premiere of the film in Philadelphia. I'll tell you that story coming up. And we'll be talking about this in two cents because I think it's so important on so many levels. We, v and I every week spend a lot of time and with good reason helping you discern the media because there's so many issues out there. But when you get an opportunity to shine a light, to just to light a candle as opposed to curse the darkness. This is a really important thing to do as well. We have to be aware, but we can't despair. And this movie is all about not despairing. And, and the way they tell Mother Cabrini's story is just incredibly well done. And it should be inspiration for any one of us, who, especially right now with all the craziness in the world and all the pushback we get, are willing to continue to push forward with the truth of who God is and who we are made in his image and likeness. So we'll talk about that. And that will happen at about 8.15. And then we're also going to be uh, looking at the movie a little bit later on in the program. We'll get to that in a second. With Eustace Wolfington, who was the executive producer of the film. So that will be absolutely fascinating. What a story there. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, a pro-life discussion with Dr. John A. D. Camillo. He is a personal consultations director and ethicist at the wonderful National Catholic Bioethics Center. met a bunch of people from uh, the center over the weekend in Philadelphia when I had my talk there, uh, my pro-life presentation that I did for uh, Pro-Life Human International there in Philly. We're going to be talking about what's going on with euthanasia. There's some pretty scary things, uh, some stories that are coming out about brain death or alleged brain death and organ donation. At least half of donors declared brain dead are actually alive when their organs are removed. This is according to a statement endorsed by 151 Catholic healthcare professionals, theologians, philosophers, ethicists, lawyers, apologists, pro-life advocates, and others, including a brain dead survivor. I mean, it's just incredibly horrific what's going on, but we're going to be getting the inside scoop and what we can do about it from Dr. John. That's at 8.35. And then coming up in the second hour of the program, of course, it is a Friday. So we have Doug Keck on our Inside Word with all the great programming coming up on EWTN. Fact Check Friday. Vanessa and I talked about this earlier, but there's an update on this story. Bishop Barron, bless his heart, who's very knowledgeable of the media, calling out MSNBC and one of their hosts are making these very dangerous comments Claiming that uh, these Christian nationalists, of course, you know, running all these people into one particular category and making Christians look like extremists all around, basically saying, oh, these people, these people actually think that their rights and, and what happens in this country, that it doesn't come from the government or Congress. It comes actually from God. They believe that. Well, hello, sister. Do you know anything about this democratic republic? And it's not a full democracy, by the way. It's a republic. And how it was founded? by the Founding Fathers and what they said, the words that she was quoting, as Bishop Barron will explain, are actually from Thomas Jefferson. Now, she's either willfully doing this or she just you know, doesn't know. I think it's a little conv- conv- um, combination of both. Now, the good news is, speaking of news in Fact Check Friday, this reporter issued an apology because she was attacking Catholic Vote and Family Research Council, and they actually asked her an apology, and she did apologize. So this is a good example also of the fact that we have to respectfully but strongly push back 
And that's why I'm so glad someone as prominent and as well-respected as Bishop Barron did, did just that. And also these two groups that are very well-recognized in the Christian and Catholic communities, Catholic Vote and Family Research Council, did the same thing. So that's our Fact Check Friday. And then wrapping up on a Friday morning with Eustace Wolfington, the executive producer of Cabrini, who I had the pleasure to meet both in a Zoom call for about an hour and then in person last Saturday when I was in Philly for the opening of the movie and for doing a pro-life talk for a wonderful pro-life organization. Weather-wise, sunny and 30 right now, a high of 49 today. Tomorrow for the weekend, very nice, 56 and partly sunny tomorrow. And on March 3rd, which is Sunday, 64 degrees and sunny. And then Monday, 71. So pretty comfortable for the next several days, at least here in southeastern Michigan. Across the country, according to the National Weather Service, there's a powerful winter storm underway. That's across the west, bringing heavy, higher elevation snow, dangerous blizzard conditions of the Sierra Nevada mountains, damaging winds, hazardous sea conditions, and very cold temps to much of the west through this weekend. And meanwhile, another story we're covering for you today, critical fire weather concerns increasing this weekend for portions of the central and southern high plains. So that's the weather, and that's a rundown for today on a Friday, March 1st, a brand new month. And it is 2024, a lot of news to get through, so let's get started on this Friday morning. And thanks for tuning in to Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. Well, yesterday, Joe Biden sharing his strong disagreement with the Catholic Church's teaching that in vitro fertilization is immoral because it kills countless unborn human babies. Catholic News Agency reporting as the controversy continues after an Alabama Supreme Court ruling saying the personhood of unborn babies conceived through IVF. Biden was asked by EWTN White House correspondent Owen Jensen yesterday what he thought about the church's teaching on the issue. Mr. President, the Alabama ruling... After the response, a report shows Biden responding before walking away quickly. And while the church encourages certain fertility treatments, as CNA explains, for couples struggling to have children, the use of IVF, as we explained with Father Mitch in detail yesterday on this program, is contrary to Catholic teachings because it separates the marriage act from procreation and destroys embryonic human life. Although Biden, as the report says, is a professed Catholic, he criticized the Alabama ruling as a disregard for women's ability to what he says is making their own decisions. He also added the decision was outrageous from Alabama and unacceptable, calling it a direct result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. House Republicans, meanwhile, are slamming President Biden's trip to the U.S.-Mexico border yesterday. He's oblivious to it. His handlers are oblivious to it. This is a photo op for him to try to say, I care. Please reelect me. Arizona Republican Andy Biggs accusing the president of refusing to address the immigration crisis and said his visiting again was nothing more than a photo op. House Speaker Mike Johnson yesterday urging Biden to take executive action to curb the flow of migrants. Both Biden and former President Donald Trump visiting the border yesterday. Biden plans to call on Republicans to take up a border security deal negotiated by a bipartisan group of senators. Kristen Marks tells us the New York Police Department says the two crowded illegal migrant shelters found this week were run by the same man. The landlord is facing violations after 44 beds and items like space heaters and hot plates were found in a commercial building in the Fordham section of the Bronx Wednesday after a similar situation was found at a furniture store in Queens. Some are wondering if Mayor Adams' shelter limits for migrants are leading to this. I don't know that I can draw a direct correlation. What I can say is that over 60% of our population have taken steps to move into other places. Adams' chief of staff, Camille Varlak, the landlord claims he was just trying to help. But there are reports he was charging asylum seekers hundreds of dollars. The wildfire in the Texas panhandle, now the largest in the state's history. Reporter Guad Venegas has the latest from the panhandle. A series of wildfires continue spreading throughout northern Texas as the weather here has changed tremendously. This morning we've seen rain. Uh, but we've also seen ice and snow in places like Fridge, Texas. The Smokehouse Creek fire beginning Monday north of Amarillo and has since scorched over a million acres across the Texas panhandle. Yesterday it spread into Oklahoma where it had burned over 30,000 acres as of Thursday night. The fire also has now killed two people. Family members say 83-year-old Joyce Blankenship was found dead Wednesday at her home in Hutchinson County, Texas. 
A second death reported in nearby Hemphill County where an Amarillo woman died after her car was surrounded by the fire. Meanwhile, there's a blizzard warning and up to 10 feet of snow over in the Sierra area, and that has the California Highway Patrol warning folks not to drive as travel is dangerous to impossible. I will be completely honest and completely blunt. If you don't have to travel, do not. Skiing, snowboarding, sledding is not that important. Your lives are way more important, and we want you to be safe on the road. That's Officer Ruth Lohr with the California Highway Patrol South Lake Tahoe reiterating travel over the Sierras is likely discouraged over the next several days. Snow and powerful winds slamming the Sierra with monstrous amounts of snow around Lake Tahoe. And it's expected by this weekend. Forecasters say this specific storm is set to be the strongest of the season. Blowing wind will also create whiteout conditions and near-zero visibility today into tomorrow morning with the heaviest snow tomorrow. Travelers are also experiencing long delays and road closures with possible power outages adding to that danger. The Massachusetts Air National Guardsman, as Brian Shook tells us, the one accused of leaking classified military documents and posting them online, is now pleading guilty. Jack Teixeira reached an agreement with prosecutors on Thursday. Federal prosecutors filed a motion for a Rule 11 hearing set for Monday where it's unknown what charge or charges he will plead guilty to. Teixeira is accused of abusing his security clearance and posting classified documents on social media sites. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin now apologizing for his handling of his hospital stay last month while testifying before the House Armed Services Committee yesterday. He said his duties were taken care of. There was never any lapse in authorities or in command and control. At all times, either I or the Deputy Secretary was in a position to conduct the duties of my office. He suffered complications of surgery for prostate cancer and was hospitalized back in January. He faced sharp criticism after it was revealed his own deputy and the White House were not notified of the hospitalization for three days. Republicans have called, meanwhile, for his resignation. Daniel Martindale tells us that Governor Gavin Newsom is denying claims about Panera Bread getting a special exemption from California's new fast food minimum wage law because of one of his connections. The law has a specific line stating a bakery that sells bread on the premises is not considered fast food. Earlier this week, reports came out detailing Newsom's relationship with Greg Flynn, a billionaire and longtime donor to Newsom's campaigns, who also happens to own two dozen Panera Bread locations in California. On Thursday, a Newsom spokesperson told Nexstar Media Group the governor never met with Flynn about the bill, calling the story absurd. The spokesperson also says after a closer look from the governor's office's legal team, it appears Panera is not exempt from the law after all. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis is signing a new law allowing a secret grand jury testimony to be made public in cases where a suspect is dead or the crimes involve sexual assault against minors. DeSantis saying he hopes this will help the victims in the Jeffrey Epstein case get some much-needed closure. We are happy in Florida to be leading the effort for transparency and for accountability because what happened uh, was clearly wrong and the punishment was simply wholly inadequate to the crime. The federal grand jury testimony concerning records from 2006 with allegation of Epstein's sexual abuse of minors. The law takes effect July 1st. There's growing frustration among Americans when it comes to getting necessary medical care. A survey from the group NDVIP found that patient burnout is becoming a major factor in trying to stay healthy. Dr. Alan Reisinger is a medical director of that group of over 1,000 primary care physicians and says some people have simply given up on seeing a doctor. About 10% of people in the survey said they waited so long in that waiting room that they just got up and left without ever seeing the doctor. So it has become a big issue. The survey finding that many people who have chronic health conditions have stopped going to see a doctor because of not being able to obtain a timely appointment. It was noted that 61% of those surveyed think the health care system is a hassle. 53% feel they're treated like a number and not a person. Many are now opting to use an urgent care facility and not have a regular physician. Reisinger says his group, a group of doctors who have smaller practices because they want to spend more time with their patients. Trey Thomas tells us the Food and Drug Administration says food packaging that contains harmful, long-lasting chemicals will no longer be sold here in the U.S. Man-made chemicals called PFAS, commonly known as forever chemicals, don't break down and have been associated with serious health risk. On Wednesday, the FDA announced food packages that contain these forever chemicals will no longer be sold nationwide. Actress Ann Whitfield, dead at the age of 85, she appeared in the holiday classic White Christmas 
and many TV shows, including Father Knows Best and Perry Mason. Family members announced she died on February 7th at a hospital in Washington State. She has reportedly had an unexpected accident while a walk in her neighborhood. They called her a powerhouse in life. And an Arkansas family welcoming their second leap year baby, Samantha and Zach Dennis welcoming their second child born on February 29th, 16 years after the birth of their older sibling, the oldest sibling. The children were both born at the same clinic with the same doctors. 16-year-old Caden was born in 2008 and Haven, of course, born this year. It is a Friday morning, March 1st, one a week from today. Cabrini opens up and it's something I really encourage you to see. Uh, Take your daughters, take your granddaughters, take your friends, take your sisters. It is really, really powerful, and it's all about what happens when we say yes to God and his vocation for us, and also it is a beautiful illustration of the feminine genius, and it just happens to be being released on International Women's Day. What a concept. Amen to that. Stay tuned. I'm Jack Crisula. Please join us on Tuesday, March 12th at 6.30 p.m. at St. John's Resort in Plymouth for the rosary followed by a speech by Andreas Widmer. Andreas, a former Swiss guard under St. John Paul II, is an entrepreneur, professor, business coach, popular speaker, and author. No registration is required. For more information, please email jack.crisula, K-R-A-S-U-L-A at trustinus.com. God bless. Welcome to Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you. Dr. Matthew and the team invite you to visit them at AdvancedDentistryCenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com Ciao, my name is Antonio Ruggiero, and if you're in the mood for some real authentic Italian food, Antonio's is the place. We make everything in-house the old-fashioned way, fatta in casa. We make our own soups, sauces, pastas, and of course, our famous baked bread. Come on in and try one of our signature dishes that my mom created, like gnocchi rita, that I know you can't find anywhere else because there's only one mama rita, and she's at Antonio's. So come break bread with us. Antonio's Cucina Italiana Vivo di te, abbi cura di ogni pianto. Ti cercherò nell'oblio di chi si è perso. Abbandonato al tuo Coraggio cado anch'io, fiore d'inverno. We dare to free visions unseen, new worlds beyond me. See two shining seas. Virginia Bocelli and her father Andrea Bocelli dare to be the song from the movie Cabrini, which opens up one week from today, March 8th, on International Women's Day. Beautiful song. We'll play it in its entirety toward the end of this segment. It is a Friday morning, March 1st, 2024. Two cents, yours and mine. Welcome back. I had the opportunity to screen the movie uh, in the privacy of my home. Deacon Dominic and I watched it. The folks, uh, the PR people behind it were gracious enough to give members of the media, as they usually do, advance screenings of the film that we can watch it on our computers. Vanessa saw it. I saw it, as I mentioned at the top of the hour. We both loved it. And I want to thank personally John Hale for putting me in touch with Eustace Wolfington, the executive producer of the movie. John called me a couple of weeks ago, and he says, uh, you know about the Gabrini film? I said, oh, sure. Really looking forward to it. Can't wait to see it. And I told him I'd already been in touch with uh, some of the PR people behind it. 
And John happens to be a real strong friend with Wolf, Eustace Wolfington, who's the executive producer, an amazing Catholic philanthropist based in Philadelphia. And John got to know Eustace through the Papal Foundation and through Vatican Pages of the Arts, and he's done a couple of tours with corporate travel. And so John connected the two of us, and as a result of that connection, Catholic connection, yes, it was and is, I was able to sit down with Eustace and his team and spend about an hour on a Zoom call with them. And he shared with me a number of different clips, interviews, videos, a slideshow, gave me the entire background to the movie. So I felt really well prepared, not only when I was going to see it, but also just being able to talk to you about it on the air. I have a lot of background information now about it. And then the Cabrini wink that happened was that I was speaking in Philadelphia over the weekend. That had been scheduled for a long time. They wanted to bring me in a day early, which is we try to always do that when I'm speaking in a town that has weather similar to normal Michigan winters, right, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Their weather is very similar to ours. So they try to bring me early in case, heaven forbid, there's any type of weather delays. So I was going to be there on Saturday anyway. And so during this wonderful conference call that I was doing with Eustace and his team, he said, boy, Teresa, I really wish you could come to Philly for our premiere. Is there any way you can come out? And I said, well, when is it? And he said, oh, it's uh, the weekend of February 24th. And I said, did you say February 24th? And he said, yes. I said, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. So definitely a Cabrini wink because I had no idea that they were doing a premiere and it just so happened that I was going to be in town. So I don't think it was any coincidence. Anyway, the film is spectacular. There's so much to say about this. There's so many lessons. Father John saw it. He's going to be weighing in on, on it with us as well in the near future once the movie opens. I think the lesson of understanding that when God puts a call on your heart and when you believe that you have a vocation and you've discerned and you've prayed about it, as St. Francis Cabrini, Mother Cabrini obviously did, that there really should be no stopping you. Obviously, we're going to have suffering. We're going to hit brick walls from time to time. And you talk about struggles. It's it's just amazing what she had to fight and how she had to push and had to use her her very good business sense, but also her very uh, warm but loving and very strong feminine genius to really get her projects started. And there was great discrimination against immigrants that were coming over at the time of the turn of the century, the 1800s and the 1900s here. And not just with Italians. Italians, it was huge, but also the Polish and the Jewish and the Irish. A lot of discrimination, openly insulting people in the streets and treating them like like dogs and animals. So it's quite the story. Quite the story. And what I love, though, is how she, in this film, in this exchange, and I'm not, again, doing a spoiler or anything here because this is in some of the trailers and one of which are going to play for you right now, how the whole theme of feminine genius comes through. And this is being released on International Women's Day. So this is really, really, really important because she is such an inspiration for women. And the fact that we have certain gifts that men don't have. So let's play the trailer, and then I'll come back and talk a little bit more about the film. And hopefully if we have time, I want to play a soundbite from the question and answer that took place after the premiere last Saturday with the actors, actresses. Eustace was there, as well as the director, the producers. It was a fascinating evening. But first, take a listen to one of the trailers of the film Cabrini opening up a week from today. I see trees of green. Dear reader, New York is built upon the dead. I see them bloom. It's all. And I think to myself. I'm going to suicide. My mama is morta di tifo in Cariola. I see skies of If I made you the first woman ever to lead an overseas mission, 
the whole world would look to you as proof of what woman can or cannot accomplish. If we are to build an empire of hope, my sisters, it seems we must first conquer New York. Welcome to America. So you let a woman push you around. An Italian woman. Is that how you run your church? You are to leave New York and never return. Who the hell do you think you are? A woman, and I am Italian, and we are all human beings. We are all the same. It's a shame that you're a woman, Mother. You would have made an excellent man. No, men can never do what we do. Men can never do what we do. That is not a slap on men. That is not some sort of a radical feminist statement. What it is is a beautiful statement about male-female complementarity and the feminine genius. A feminine genius is a quote, really, or a terminology that came from the many beautiful writings on women from Pope St. John Paul II. And there are actually four characteristics of feminine genius. Receptivity, sensitivity, generosity, and maternity. Now, the feminine genius also consists of being a spiritual mother. Every single female on the planet is a spiritual mom, whether she has a physical children or doesn't have any children such as myself, we're all physical moms and spirit, or all spiritual moms in terms of being receptive, sensitive, generous, maternal. Those are the characteristics that we have. And this is so beautifully portrayed in this film. And I think this is going to come across very, very majorly when this movie opens up in the theaters because look at the time and when this is being released, not only on the discussion on immigration, because what's so important about the discussion, they don't get into the politics, they don't do the Democratic or Republican thing, but they talk about the fact that when the immigrants were coming over in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, they wanted to work. They were looking for work. They wanted to fit in. But it was extremely, extremely difficult for them. And so Mother Cabrini knew that the only way they would get out of that situation was through education. And by both meeting their needs physically but also in terms of learning how to speak English and being able to assimilate into the culture. She gave them a lot of tools. But she does this, this is what she did, and you see this throughout the film, and politics never mentioned. And so I'm really hoping this will give a lot of us some good food for thought in terms of the reality of the situation and how she overcame it. By the end of her life, as I mentioned earlier, she had extreme success in opening up some 67 institutions. And do you know who was inspired by her? And what would have happened? What would have happened if Mother Cabrini just stayed in her corner of northern Italy where she was from, which she was actually told to do by some of the cardinals who really liked the work she was doing? They said, you're doing a great job up in Lombardy where she was from, where she had started an orphanage and was working on educating the poor there, doing so much in that region. They wanted her to stay. But imagine if... She did not answer God's call. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was inspired by the life of Mother Cabrini. It was because of the life of Mother Cabrini that Mother Teresa said, I want to do the same thing in similar ways. Really powerful. Listen to this. Mother Teresa read a biography of St. Francis Cabrini who came from Italy to be a missionary in America in 1889. Reflecting on the life of Mother Cabrini, Mother Teresa wrote, Mother Cabrini did not wait for souls to come to her. She went to them with zealous workers. Why can't I do the same for Jesus here in India? Now think about the fallout, the positive fallout of Mother Cabrini's yes. Despite all the hardship, despite all the doors that were slammed shut, and I mean slammed shut or burned down, literally, she persisted. And she prayed and she went back to the Pope and she went back to the Archbishop. She was not disobedient because there was a Pope who said, okay, if you want to go and start this, you're going to start with the Italian immigrants in New York, not in China where she wanted to begin. So she started in New York, 
But eventually, because she was so strong in her belief and her conviction of her vocation, she did end up having institutions in China. But not only in China, all over the world, including Argentina as well. But think about, again, if she had just said, oh, okay, I'll just go back. Not that there was anything wrong. She was doing excellent work in northern Italy, in the Lombardy region. But she felt in her heart that God had a bigger call on her life. And a famous quote of hers is, the world is too small for what I intend to do. And then she inspires another saint, St. Teresa of Calcutta. And look at the missionaries of charities, the Sisters of Charity, and what they've done around the world. And how Mother Teresa was one of the most well-known pro-life leaders around the world. And so this is such a lesson for all of us in so many different ways. Are we going to serve our weakness, as Mother Cabrini said, or are we going to serve our vocation? But the other thing that happened in the movie is you see her constant discernment and her determination. On Tuesday, I'm giving a a talk in Venice, Florida. Deacon Dominic and I are doing a mission for a beautiful uh, church down there in the Venice area. We're both speaking Monday night, our marriage testimony, and Tuesday night I'm doing a talk for the women. And so many people will comment, and I know we all feel this way. I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And again, you have to discern. And we have to be obviously, you know, realistic. And this is what you see with Mother Cabrini. She worked with what she had at the time, and then she built on that. She knew she had to start somewhere. But she kept going back. She kept building. She did not give up. But sometimes we get overwhelmed. And we think, I, I, I can't do this. God must be crazy. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. And you will know it's your calling if you keep discerning. Because doors will be open. It's not going to be a piece of cake, as we see with Mother Cabrini. But she also saw some really bright lights within the darkness in terms of making a difference and people respecting her. That helped her along and encouraged her to continue. So are we just going to go back to our corners and not really try to do something really big for God one little step at a time? Are we going to answer the call to our vocations? And again, the vocation could change in the middle of your life. Maybe God's asking you to change right now. Maybe you're being called to do something different. Chuck Adica and I talked about this a couple weeks ago when he was on EWTN, how you, know, you always kind of are reinventing yourself according to what God wants you to do. It could be the same for a really long time. Then he moves into something else. But it comes through constant discernment of knowing what God is asking of us of prayer and adoration and seeking out spiritual direction and working with people who know what you love to do and understand your talents and your gifts and understand your feminine genius or your male genius. The world is too small for what Mother Cabrini wanted to do and look what she did. She spread her empire of hope around the world. She dared, dared to be what God called her to be. And when we are whom we are called to be, as St. Catherine of Siena says, we will set the world ablaze. So I'll close with a full song from this beautiful movie, Cabrini, which opens up a week from today. This song is sung by Virginia Bocelli, who happens to play one of the orphans in the film. She's adorable. And of course, her famous father, a very strong Catholic, Andre Bocelli, Dare to Be. Take a listen. We dare to free Visions unseen, new worlds beyond me. See to shining sea, with us we breathe. A voice that sings, forgotten harmony. Even the darkest night, behold the
Welcome back, Catholic Connection. We are Pro-Life Womb to Tomb, and we are your Pro-Life Radio Network here at Ave Maria Radio and EW10, and we so appreciate the great work and the insight and the teachings of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. On the phone with us, Dr. John A. DiCamillo, Personal Consultations Director and Ethicist for the NCBC, National Catholic Bioethics Center. So, John, this is um, pretty frightening. I know that you uh, had a hand in uh, co-writing the, the statement that was put out regarding Something that sounds like it's coming out of a horrible science fiction movie. Let's talk about what's happening with brain death and organ donation. Thanks for joining us this morning. Sure, happy to do so. So your part in it was you helped co-write the statement, correct, that was put out? Yes, that's right. So I co-authored this with Dr. Joseph Ebley, who's a physician, and Dr. Peter Colosi, who's a philosophy professor. Uh, And I'm, of course, an ethicist with the National Catholic Bioethics Center, yes. All right, so tell us what the statement is addressing in terms of specifically brain death and the problems that are going on right now. With regard to brain death, uh, there were some important developments over the summer. Um, In particular, there's been a two-year process to update the uh, Uniform Determination of Death Act in the United States, and um, this is a, a uniform law, model law, essentially, that's been taken up by pretty much every state in the United States. Um, And this law defines death as the complete and irreversible cessation of all function of the entire brain as as part of the definition with respect to brain death. Uh, The problem is that they wanted to lower that standard. Uh, They wanted to change it to a partial brain death standard. Uh, And at the time, the National Catholic Bioethics Center and the USCCB joined in opposition to that proposed modification of the UDDA, as it's called. Uh, because they said, hey, we can't lower the standard from what's currently a whole brain death standard to a partial brain death standard. The bigger problem, uh, which is part of what led to this statement, is that in the meantime, uh, there have been studies over the past 10 years showing that um, among patients diagnosed brain dead, there is continued brain function, even mm-hmm. with the existing standards. And then uh, right after the, the effort to change the UDDA failed or was tabled, um, the American Academy of Neurology put out updated guidelines since the previous 2010 guidelines. They put out new guidelines October 2023, which essentially said, okay, um, the new guidelines explicitly say we're only establishing partial loss of brain function. In other words, some parts of the brain can still function when we declare you brain dead. And, of course, this was the, the, essentially them trying to achieve what the effort to change the UDBA right. had failed to do. So what's behind um, this then? Is, is it money because of the money and organ donation? What is it then? The agenda, both? What do you think? Well, I'm not going to speculate as to what the, the rationale is. I mean, I think there are a lot of uh, good answers to that question. Um, but 
our main goal with this document is to alert the Catholics in the pew, alert all people of goodwill, that essentially the, the issue is, regardless of the why, uh, right now, if someone is declared brain dead, uh, we have no guarantee they're actually dead. And since brain death is used in 70% of organ donations, so 70% of organ donors declared dead are declared dead using brain death criteria. So if you're an organ donor, this is a big, big problem because, of course, the Catholic Church is clear that uh, we have to have certainty of death in order for you to donate vital organs after death. So yeah. if we're not sure you're dead, um, we can't be taking organs out of you. Uh, that, that means the act would kill you if we're removing your organs um, and, and we're not sure you're actually dead. So are there certain, and I know National Catholic Bioethics Center has a ton of information on these different topics, but how do we, as, as Catholics who want to make sure that people know what our, our uh, desires are, uh, God forbid if anything happens and we get into that situation, what can we do then to protect ourselves, to protect our families, and really to, to protect others because this is a pro-life cause? Yes, absolutely. I think point number one is if you are an organ donor, which of course the Church says is a noble, meritorious uh, act, uh, or intention, so you should stop being an organ donor at this time. In other words, given the current clinical situation, the, the clinical reality is that you're very likely going to be alive at the time of organ donation, and so you should remove that status with the, the Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, you should, you know, if you're not sure how to do that, you have difficulty doing that, you can uh, put a card with your license that says, I do not want to be an organ donor. I refuse to be an organ donor with your card in the meantime. You can change or write, if you don't already have one, an advanced directive where you specifically select not to be an organ donor, and you can encourage your families and your um, loved ones, friends, to do likewise as a way of protecting yourself and other vulnerable, potentially vulnerable patients uh, from being killed by the process of organ donation. The thing that to me is, uh, is, is incredible, the number of people that signed uh, this, this statement, 151 Catholic healthcare professionals, theologians, philosophers, ethicists, lawyers, apologists, pro-life advocates, others including, and this I found really interesting and eye-opening, a brain death survivor. So uh, there are people, and we've heard these stories, John, and, and not coming actually from a religious perspective, these people who wake up after years of, of being considered brain dead or in a long-term coma, and, and we've heard quite a few of those the last few years, actually. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just a few examples of the names that might be familiar to your listeners uh, was the case of Jahai McMath, was a 13-year-old girl declared brain dead and then went on to live more than four years. Um, there was Marlies Munoz, uh, who was a 33-year-old gestating mother uh, who was declared brain dead, and the pregnancy was continuing until, at a certain point, the court ordered the removal of life support, and then, of course, she and the baby died. Uh, there was also the case of Aiden Hailu, who's mm -hmm. a 20-year-old young lady uh, in 2015 who was uh, declared brain dead and went on to live another six months as her father fought court battles in Nevada. Um, and I'll just mention on that last one, that, that case of Aiden Hailu in Nevada, uh, it actually led to a change in the law specifically of the state of Nevada where, um, just like what they were trying to do with the UDDA, they actually changed Nevada state law so that now the standard of legal standard of death in Nevada is, in fact, the American Academy of Neurology guidelines, which only establish partial loss of brain function, unlike the, the law in most other states, which is still complete and irreversible cessation of all function of the entire brain. Wow. So you now have one state where they've effectively lowered the bar, um, and, of course, this case did lead to a lot of the reason why they wanted to change the UDDA uh, and to say, hey, you know, we're, we're getting sued now. You know, we're, we're having these court battles because the law says complete and irreversible cessation. But what we're doing in clinical reality is not that. And so we're going to change the law to match what we're actually doing, which isn't whole brain death. Um, and, and that's, again, effectively lowering that bar. Um, and so that's, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're talking about Dr. John A. D. Camillo from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He's a personal consultations director and ethicist there, talking about this uh, statement that was co-signed by 151 uh, Catholic and pro-life leaders. And the endorsers are calling on all Catholics to unite against utilization, uh, utilization of the current brain death criteria because they do not ensure that patients are dead. Uh, seriously, John, I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but this does sound like something out of a... Uh, you know, a frightening, you know, crazy scientific, you know, sci-fi movie or something. 
Oh, it absolutely is. It's horrendous, uh, to, to be frank, <laughs> um, which is why the, the motivation for doing this. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Teresa. I wasn't even focused on this issue of brain death and organ donation. I was kind of following along the work that we as a center were doing right. with the whole revision to the UDDA. You know, I had other things I was focusing on. Um, and it was really just, uh, you know, after, uh, and thanks to actually the work of uh, Dr. Joe Zalot, who's our director of education, he yep. interviewed mm-hmm. on his podcast, Dr. Chris DeCock, who's a pediatric neurologist, talking about all these things. And I said, oh, my goodness, you know, what is going on? And I've, I'm advising people as a personal consultations director, right? I mean, people come to us, and I'm trying to train some fellows and interns in how to answer consults, and people are asking brain death and organ donation questions. And I'm, I'm saying, oh, my goodness, something is, is really different now. Um, something has, has come to the fore. We have the American Academy of Neurology tripling down on guidelines that have now been explicitly admitted by them to not test for whole brain death. Um, you know, and, and so this, this has huge ramifications, unfortunately, which is the reason why we're trying to let everybody know what is going on here. Um, you know, these current studies from the past uh, decade or so have actually demonstrated that at least 50% are actually alive. 50% of patients brain dead. Yes, at least 50%. Five zero. That's correct, yes. And other studies indicate as many as four out of five, 84% to be exact, um, may be alive or actually, no, I should say are alive because they have hypothalamic function, hypothalamus being a part of the brain. Um, And so they actually have demonstrated 84% in some studies uh, have hypothalamic function. So four out of five people declared brain dead. So, I mean, this, this really is dramatic. And this is sort of the, the bare minimum because hypothalamic function is fairly easy to identify in clinical practice. But there could be all sorts of other um, areas of function of the brain that are being missed by the clinical tests that are actually done. And so that's kind of, you know, the, the point here is that we're talking about bare minimum. It's been confirmed 50% uh, of brain, you know, people declared brain dead are actually alive. Um, some studies, as many as four out of five people, and potentially even more than that if we were to go deeper into looking for more brain activity that the current clinical criteria do not test for. So in addition to, as you said earlier, John, not to agreeing to, to donate your organs, you obviously have to let your family members know, your loved ones, what your wishes are somehow. And, and again, I think this is more evidence and more reason to make sure you've got all of that type of situation sorted out. Yes, and I mean, at an absolute bare minimum, I would definitely recommend talking about this with your loved ones because, again, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you're comatose and you're unable to communicate your wishes, if you haven't written it down anywhere, um, it's important that somebody you know who's likely to be involved in the decision-making is aware that this is something you would not want because they may have to fight hard also against pressures from organ procurement organizations and others uh, which, of course, you know, would be interested in, in having access to right. those organs uh, to, to help others, uh, of course, is the aim. Uh, the church has set a noble aim, and many Catholics with the best of intentions, including right. myself in the past, to be honest, have been organ donors, right? Um, I will say I was an organ donor as a young man, got my license, had that on there, uh, removed it some years ago as I was starting to see some of the concerns just in general with this issue. Um, but now I've gotten to a point where I, I just say, this is just too much uncertainty. I mean, we're at a point where it's more likely you're alive than dead wow. uh, if you're an organ donor. Yeah, I keep going back to that statistic of 50%. That's shocking. Yes, yes, absolutely. So where is the information that we can receive this particular document to read at this call to action? Where would we find it? Yeah, so the document is available on catholicculture.org. CatholicCulture.org, and then also your great work at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, all the information you have on so many issues, even this one. How do we find you, John? Yes, that is on uh, www.ncbcenter.org. Yep, great. You know, it's really sad. People want to do good things. Americans really want to help people, and yet here we have this where we have to pull back, and it's just so sad to me. But maybe by doing that, it'll get their attention and they'll change. I don't know. I mean, I'm not confident that they will, but at least we can try to do our best to protect ourselves and our loved ones, right? What do you think? Absolutely. I agree entirely. I think that at a minimum, you know, step number one is protecting vulnerable patients, uh, and, and if there's going to be any change, it's got to be through, you know, recognition that this is this is serious and that Catholics are uniting around the country, around the world 
to say, no, this low bar cannot continue. We need better criteria that ensure people are actually dead. What a concept, huh? John, thank you so much. Dr. John A.D. Camillo, Personal Consultations Director and Ethicist with the National Catholic Bioethics Center. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Estate planning gives our loved ones peace and time to mourn. At MyCatholicWill.com, a legal will is as simple as 15 minutes filling out information about your family. The standard cost is $79.95. However, thanks to our partnership with MyCatholicWill.com, when you use the promo code AVE, A-V-E, your will is absolutely free. No hidden cost whatsoever. Visit MyCatholicWill.com. Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. I am Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, getting weary of the Lenten fasting? Sneaked that piece of chocolate or gossiped about someone? Take heart. Encouragement is here on the Sunday of the Veneration of the Cross. Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor. Modern philosophers Kierkegaard, Shelley, Sartre proposed the idea that existence precedes essence, by which they meant, in simpler terms, that in the process of time we make or create who and what we are. We understand, of course, that there are those who believe that their doing has been more successful than that of others, and have consequently argued that their being is on a higher state than that of others. This is the kind of thinking that leads to genocide, gas chambers, and abortion clinics. However, folks like Barb and Patrick and Paul and Alicia believe that from the beginning human essence is divinely ordered and infinitely valuable, and where else can we state this more clearly than our defense of preborn children who cannot prove themselves or justify themselves? They can only be, which is why they are so precious to one named I Am. Go to Guadalupe Workers. Dot org. Doug Keck joins us at 9.15, then Fact Check Friday. And also Eustace Wolfington, the executive producer of Cabrini. The film opens up a week from today. CabriniFilm.com. We'll be right back. 